when it comes down to it, if we never felt God here, it'd be a pretty empty place. But last very long was a social club, or civic organization. Somebody else has got a better couch, a better TV, and a better menu than we do. But when we come to this place and we gather together in the name of Jesus, Spirit comes down to be with us. Although I know that He can come down and dwell with us in our prayer closet, in our bedroom, there's just something different about when the glory of God falls among His people. I will be in the presence of God. That's what's going to make heaven so great. It's not walls and castles and streets of gold. It's going to be because we're in the presence of God. Without the restraint and the frustration of flesh, we'll be like He is. Be with Him forever. And I will go home. Be with the Lord. And now more than ever before, I want to go home and be with the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, you'd like to go with me tonight to the book of Psalms, chapter 34. Psalms chapter 34, just three short verses before you're seated. Verse 12 says, What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good? What man is that? What kind of man is it that desires life, and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The key to seeing good, the key not just to life, but to life more abundantly, is more often than not bound up that little member right behind our lips. I'm going to preach to you, teach to you, I guess, tonight, for the next few weeks, on bad words. I know you can talk bad words in church. We lift up your hands and voices. Let's worship the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for the high privilege and honor we have to simply come into your presence. Oh, Lord, we ask you to let your presence linger in this house tonight and to your word and your purpose to accomplish. Lord, let your word forever change us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Now, I'm going to begin a new series tonight on Wednesday nights. Uh, we will probably later in the year, the Lord so tarries, get back around to the elements, and I hope... I hope that you enjoyed those series. Uh, we went through uh, kind of the tail end of last year. There's actually four segments. You've been through two of them. Uh, so we will likely pick those back up later in the year, unless God tells me otherwise. Uh, but tonight I want to begin uh, just for the next few weeks to talk about bad words, to talk about how we speak. Now, I'm just going to be absolutely honest with you. I, I have been putting this off. Probably for too long. This is something that's been on my heart for quite some time. 
uh, something that I wanted to teach on, that I wanted to preach on, whatever you call what it is that, that you hear me do. Um, I've been putting it off because I want to make sure I, I do a good job of it. I want to make sure that, that I can get to the depth that we need to. And I've also come to tell you, I'm probably not ever going to get there. I just It's, it's just one of those things I, I've come to the conclusion I'm never going to get as far as I need to or I want to, I guess, in the Word of God. I always want to go deeper. I always want to, to do a better job. But I put it off long enough. It's just something that I feel like is desperately needed in the church. Not just ours, but it's needed in ours. But everywhere that God's people are, I believe we need to hear what we're going to hear over the next few weeks. The series is all about how we should speak. And how we should not speak to everyone, everybody that's around us in this world. It's about learning how to speak according to the way God tells us to. You know, God really doesn't leave an awful lot up to the imagination of the Word of God. Every question you've ever had, there's an answer for it in the book. Even sometimes when it's just stand still and be quiet, the answer's in the book. And everything that man needs to know to get from here to heaven is in the Word of God. I know that God gives us those things in a moment. I know that God speaks directly to us in ways. But we also know that God speaking directly to us never gets outside of the book. It's always in line with it. And so the Word of God has within its pages everything that we need to know to be able to serve God in this present world, as our New Testament tells us. And so something that is way too often overlooked by all of us, this is a message series that nobody will be exempt from, even the preacher. Nobody will be exempt from it because all of us have to deal with what comes out of our mouth. Unless you're you're mute and, you know, for the Brandon said tonight, for the shake said tonight, and that wasn't him. He could talk. So, you know, it, it's all right. So, a man named Henry Ferguson made the statement, if someone paid you, 10 cents for every kind word you said about people and collected 5 cents for every unkind word, would you be rich or poor? <laughs> in between. Sister Elsa is going to be honest tonight. Yes. Not flat broke, but she ain't going to be rich either. I guess what she's telling us. A friend of mine told me this story many years ago. He said his dad, um, he said his dad, um, he was former military, and, and although he did the best that he could, uh, to control his tongue, you know, there's time, times that bad words would slip out. And, and so as, as motivation, you know, to, to keep himself in check around his children, he told them that every time he, he let something slip he shouldn't say, he let a word come out that he shouldn't say, he would give them, I forget if it was a quarter or 50 cents, one or the other, he would give them something. So, you know, dads don't want to be giving out a whole lot of money to their kids. So that was kind of his motivation and their way of keeping him honest and and he told me one day, he said, you know, he always did pretty good. Every once in a while, we'd get a little pocket change out of that. If he got all wound up or whatever it was. He said, until the day came when his Marine Corps monies came over. And he just walked up and handed me a $10 bill and said, here. <laughs> he knew he had no, no hope of ever getting through those couple of days and keeping his tongue clean from the things that he was going to say. Why is this an important thing for us to, to delve into? Of all the things in Scripture that we could talk about, what we ought to do, and that's what you get on, on, on Wednesday night. You, you get Bible study. You get, you get teaching of how we ought to live for God. Why does it matter all that much what we say? Why does it matter what comes from our lips? 
Speech is the thing that differentiates us from the rest of God's creation. It is the, the distinguishing aspect of who we are as people. Darwin may have thought we looked an awful lot like monkeys, but monkeys don't talk. They make some noise, but they don't talk. Your dog and your cat make some noise to get out of you what they want out of you, but they don't talk. And I understand for anybody to sit there right now thinking I've heard birds talk. All they do is mimic your, your sound. They, they're really not speaking your language. They, they don't know what it is that you're, you're saying. Speech is something that is unique to humanity. Speak and speech is how we relate to one another. It's how we communicate with one another. That's why the, the Tower of Babel, uh, when God just confounded their languages, that's why it was so destructive to their efforts, because once they could communicate, chaos ensued. You don't believe me? Just go take a mission trip to a place where they don't speak English. I have had a lot of exposure to that with the Lord Terry's. I sure hope that I get to because I want to go on mission trips, although I'm 42 and I still ain't made it there. But, but I did go to Canada once, and where I was at in Canada, you know, they spoke French and they spoke English. It was my first experience with coming to an understanding that there were people in this world that I could not carry on a conversation with. Now, I didn't die. You know, it was, it was Canada. I mean, everything's pretty normal there. And, you know, I'd stand up to the register and hand them a debit card. They knew what that was. They'd swipe it, take my money, and give me what I asked for. But the truth was, I couldn't have told them anything relevant at all. Because we didn't speak the same language. Speech is what defines us. It's also how we relate to God as well. We are to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. We are to pray from our lips. I understand there's times that we can't keep things out of our mouth and, and the Spirit prays through us, but the overwhelming majority of the time, there's stuff coming out of your mouth when you're talking to God. What we say is of critical importance. Uh, there's a rabbi, long dead by now, I forget his actual name, but his, his nickname, I guess, as they call him, they call him the, the Hofetz Haim. What you want to be called that? But you want to have a nickname like that. And I'm going to read you some things. I'm not going to read a word for word from what he said. But he was someone who really spent his life's work trying to define, through the study of the scripture, how we should and how we should not speak to one another. And so here's some things that he points out in some of his writings. He says that our mouth is just like a vessel of a temple. Sounds strange. But he said the vessels of the temple, the things that they use, the things they use to carry the fire, to carry the oil, to carry the blood, those vessels were things that enabled their worship and their prayers to make it into God's presence. That was the medium that they had. That's how they, they got forgiveness from God. It's how they gave their worship to God through the service of the temple, through the service of the tabernacle. And those vessels had to be sanctified and purified, and they were the tools that enabled those prayers to be pleasing to God. And in the same vein, those tools there became defiled. They weren't fit for use. They couldn't be taken into the temple. They couldn't be used at all because they had been defiled. And so it tells us that our mouths are very similar to that. When we speak words in faith unto God, it takes those words into his presence in the heavens. Uh, if you don't believe that, you're going to the wrong church. I believe that when I pray, God hears. I believe that 
It incapacitates us. And it renders us unfit for God to work through. There's some people you're never going to be a witness to in this world because somewhere along the way, there's some things we said that destroyed a witness. And we became unfit for God to use us to win that soul. He also writes, he says, the mouth is the intersection of our physical and our spiritual essence. And the ability to speak is the bridge between the, the physical side of us, the earthbound human side, and the spiritual being. And our mouth is where we make a great deal of our choices. We choose every day what we will say and what we will not say. And by doing that, we are choosing whether or not we're exercising the God side of us, whether we're exercising the carnal side of us. Some of our words are godly, some of our words are not. Speech can also redefine reality. Now look at what in the world does that mean? Well, think about this. You can think something about somebody for a very, very long time. You can think somebody's irritating, you can think they're annoying, and they just absolutely drive you up the wall. You can think that for years, perhaps. But as long as it is in your head, as long as it is in your thoughts, it doesn't turn into anything for anybody else. Now, you still have to deal with what's in your mind and what's in your heart, but it doesn't hurt them, it doesn't, it doesn't affect their, they don't know that you think they're annoying. You just think that. And you were wise enough to keep your mouth shut so you didn't hurt their feelings. As long as it stays in there, inside, then it's not really going down that, that dark path. But, but once you say it, once it comes out of your mouth, the words are now set on path. And that path, many, many times, if our words are evil, that path is destructive. When we speak something about somebody else, it doesn't come back. It can be retracted. It can be apologized for. It can be repented of. We can try to make things right, but the words never come back. We can't unsay them, and the hearer can't unhear them. You all know what I'm talking about. There's things in this world people have said to you that they've apologized for, and you said that you forgave them, but you still remember them, and they still hurt. But it doesn't unleash such things on just you alone. I can say something about Sister Carrie to somebody else and forever alter their opinion of her. And even though I might later repent of it, even though I might later try to make it right, I may later apologize for it, that person is also now forever changed by what I said. Which means that as children of God, you've got to be awful careful about what we said. Here's another interesting aspect that I, 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 just, I just find it interesting. One of those things in Scripture you can't really prove it kind of looks like it, but you don't know. Uh, but then there's a teaching, there's an old, old teaching, that there is a, a court in the heavens, that the heavens has a court, and the devil is the accuser. Now, I don't know exactly if there's a courtroom in the heavens or not, but I do know this, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, 
We see it in the New Testament, although this belief and this teaching comes from a whole long time ago in the Old Testament. Revelation 10 and 12, the Bible says that I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. We also see all the way back in the book of Job in the Old Testament, which was the first book of the Old Testament that was actually written down. We see this whole interaction between God and the devil. Well, what are you doing, Satan? I'm walking to and fro in the earth. And then all of a sudden, you know, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Most of you know kind of the rest of that story. Uh, the, the idea behind this whole this whole thing about there being a court in the heavens is that the devil himself, because I guess the scripture says that, that you need two or three witnesses for anything to be established, that the devil can't just accuse us on his own. But he needs a second witness. He needs someone to corroborate his story. Where would that person come from? 2 Peter chapter 2, I want to read you something very interesting. Again, I, I, I mean, in full transparency, I have no idea if God is important in the heavens or not. But I just want you to see what the scripture says. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. There's that bad word stuff. Speaking evil. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, greater than us, people, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Angels, who have greater power than we do. The Bible clearly says we were made lower than the angels. They have less to be worried about than you and I do. And yet the Bible says that they will not bring raving accusation against dignities before the Lord. It said, but these, talking about those people again, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they account pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are, blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Osor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Now, we're reading in these verses, and it's just giving a description of a horrible person. I mean, eyes full of adultery, you know, meant to be thrown in the fire. I don't want to ever find myself described in this way. But it's putting all these people, all these people that behave in such a way, into this category, into this little bucket, and then it compares it to someone that would follow the way of Balaam. Now, who was that? All the way back in the Old Testament, 
Balaam was this man. He was, I mean, nobody knows exactly kind of what, what he was and, 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 and maybe exactly where he knew some of these things, but he was perceived to be a prophet. He was perceived to be a spiritual man on some level, uh, but he was an Edomite. He was you know, not really friendly with, with the nation of Israel. And a, a king, the king of the Moabites, named Balak, hired him. I want you to curse God's people. I want you to speak evil things about God's people. And God would let him do it. But the thing about Balaam was, God clearly told him, you're not going to curse my people. And yet Balaam tried. Again and again and again, trying to find a way around God, trying to enable somehow to get into a position to be able to do what the Moabite king wanted to get paid. And the thing that the Moabite king wanted was for him to curse God's people. And this is a description, a label upon this bucket of people that God said, don't have anything to do with this. We have to be careful what we speak of and how we speak. We should never be caught cursing God's people. And I'm not just talking about those living in the Middle East. I'm talking about the church of the living God. God forbid that brothers and sisters destroy each other by cursing one another. When God lumps it into such a wicked description. I believe that this is something we have got to take to heart as the people of God. We grieve the Spirit of God when we speak bad words, when we say evil things. Go with me to the book of James, if you would. James is the one that always, you know, just knocks it right down there where we're living. James chapter 3, uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, but do he gets kind of on a tirade here, talking about this one thing that we're talking about. James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. This is why I said nobody's exempt from these messages. We ain't perfected yet. We're on the road to perfection. We ain't got to the end of it yet. James said, if you can completely control your tongue and never one time offend anybody in the words that you say, you are a perfect man. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole light and set it on fire in the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. I don't want to have anything to do with anything from hell. How simple do you get? Mr. Carpenter said once many years ago, he had a young man who come to his church, and he asked him, he said, that was back when they had something called near beer. And some of you older, your older saints remember when that stuff come out. I don't know what it come out when I turned out when I was a kid. 
but it's just non-alcoholic, make it taste like beer. And the young man asked me, Pastor, can we can we drink near beer? And he said, no. And he said, why? And he said, because it sounds too much like beer held me. I don't want to have anything to do that is set on fire in hell. It says, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and things of the sea is tamed and have been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. You want to know why you need the Holy Ghost? If you haven't found a reason yet, it's because no man can tame his tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith blessed we God, even the Father, and therewith cursed we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Why is it so important, even more so important, what a child of God says? Because we are the mouths that bless the Lord. We are the mouths that speak and preach truth and righteousness, and it ought not be that those same mouths speak evil things. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place bitter, I mean sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his words with meekness of wisdom. But if he must know people for you. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that they So many things hinge on what we say. We're going to dig deeper in the next few weeks into the whole idea of evil speech, because, of course, there's lots of speech that's good. There's a such thing as holy speech. There's a such thing as, as wonderful things to be said. But we're going to at least start talking about the negative side. We're going to talk about evil speech. And here's your, your last Hebrew words for the night. But there's a term in Hebrew called Moshe Hora, And basically it just means evil speech. It is a derogatory or harmful statement made about somebody. Something that is either harmful or even potentially harmful to somebody else. And harm can be taken on forms. Harm can be... Financial, or it could be physical, it could be psychological. We have all kinds of ways to get offended, don't we? We offend our wallets, we offend our sensibilities. We are a wonderful creation, aren't we? The statement doesn't even have to be negative per se, but it can be said in such a way that it can become evil, that it can become harmful. So here's some examples of evil speech. If I take the opportunity to specifically point out that someone is lacking in their faith, that someone's not being the kind of apostolic that they really ought to be, why am I saying that? Why am I pointing out that her hero is shut? Why am I pointing out that his hair is too short? Why am I pointing out that his hair is too long and he's a hair 
about instruction from the Word of God. I'm talking about when I make a statement just to harm. What if I know that someone really isn't all that dedicated to serving God? You know, they're just, they're just. Anybody ever said things like that before? What about making a statement about how someone measures up in relation to someone else? This is where you can kind of get into this whole idea that it doesn't always have to be a negative thing on the surface. You see, sometimes as apostolics, we have a tendency to become Pharisees, and that gets us in trouble. Sometimes we become legalistic, and we think that just because, you know, what's in black and white is, is not incorrect, but that doesn't make it bad. Well, you know, if I said about a certain person, you know, they, they pray 20 minutes a day. That might be a bad thing for some people. What if there was someone that you expected to pray a lot more than that? And you said, they just pray 20 minutes a day. What if we made the statement that, you know, they, you know, they, they, they read the Bible five minutes a day? Might be positive improvement for some. For someone else, the man of God is supposed to be getting that little bit preaching every week, five minutes a day. Right? Why would I be saying those things? What about mentioning negative character traits? Everybody's got them. All of us have things we're good at and things that we're not. All of us have our strengths and all of us have our weaknesses. You know, why is it that human nature has a tendency to hold in all and point out those weaknesses more than the strengths? Yeah. What about when we drudge up something shameful from someone's history, from someone's past? The list can go on and on and on. How, how does it happen so often? And we understand how it happens to those that don't have the Holy Ghost and, and they don't have any instruction in the Word of God and, and they just live according to what their flesh says. We all know how that turns out. The Scripture is full, full of it. But how is it that, that, that saints of God fall into this trap as well? Well, sometimes it's because they don't try. And sometimes it's because they don't have teaching. And sometimes it's because it's been too long since somebody's prayed through. But a lot of times we do what humans are very, very good at. We justify. And we find reasons why it must, in fact, be said. We find reasons that makes it okay to say it. This is the South. And in the South, there is a common belief that you can say just about anything as long as you end it with bless their heart. <laughs> and somehow, that erases every horrible thing you just said, bless their heart. So when y'all look at me and say something and say, bless your heart, yeah. I don't know what you mean. There's times that we, maybe we point out somebody else's weaknesses, and then we just throw in there, you know, we have that problem too. But we still highlight it there. Sometimes we, we will say something because we know that they realize this about themselves, that that makes it okay. You know, they know that they're impatient. So I'm just talk about it, free reign, and make sure you know how patient they are, because they know they're patient, they told me so themselves, so that means that I can make them look bad in your eyes. 
my all-time favorite because we've all done this one way too many times. We tell the story, we make the statements, we say the things that we know aren't good to say about a person, so we just leave out the names. Knowing good and well, every living soul in that conversation knows exactly who you're talking about. But we didn't say it. Yeah, but we isn't all that good. And we know who it is that we're all talking about. It's just, you know, it's a technicality. But folks, I don't want to hang my salvation with God on a technicality. And here's where it's really going to get uncomfortable. We also fall into the trap of thinking because it is the truth, it can be said in any situation. Now, everything that comes out of your mouth should be the truth. But everything that is truth doesn't have to come out of your mouth at all times. There's some things that you know and that you know to be true that you need to keep your mouth shut. I'm not talking about covering up for a, for a serial killer living in the back of your house. I'm talking about this thing that creeps into our mind and says, because I'm not lying. Because what I'm saying is the truth. I can tell anybody that will listen. Folks, it's of truth. Some people are gossipers. Some people are sinners. Some people are wicked. Some people do horrible, terrible things. Does that mean that we have free reign and license to say that about every living soul? Simply because it's true. We've got to ask ourselves, why are we saying it? Why are we bringing it up? Why are we inserting it into the conversation? Because how does such a thing incorporate forgiveness? There are times things in people's past, God, that, that, that those people have repented of and put under the blood of Jesus Christ, and God has so chosen. He's not talking about it any longer. Why is it that we're still talking? Why is it that we're still grudging it up? See, thinking through these things starts to peel back some layers in our heart, which is where the problem really is. When we start to ask ourselves, why am I saying these things? Then here's the last justification I'll move on. There are those people in our life that we feel like we have a right to speak negative things up. You know, you're married to this You birthed them. You feed them and you clothe them and you pay for their insurance. And so you feel because they're flesh and blood, because they are yours, you can say anything and everything you want to say about them. Folks, there have been a lot of lives destroyed over mamas and daddies that never had one good thing to say about their children. There have been a lot of marital relationships destroyed. Because some people didn't learn to shut their mouth and not say some things that didn't need to come out. If you've been married long enough and you haven't learned this, I don't know what's wrong with you. But somewhere along the line, you have to learn if you're going to make your marriage 
about it, the sources that I've alluded at are all Old Testament things, and yet the New Testament is steeped in it. It's all through there. Jesus talks about it, and Peter talks about it, and all the other apostles talk about it. Why is it such a bad thing? Because the person that you're speaking of, it diminishes that person. It diminishes your victim in the eyes of others. They never again think of them the same way. There, there's been people that, that things have been spoken to me so people have told me things about them, and those things later turned out to not be true. But I can't forget them. And the rest of your life, you kind of walk around. Yeah, you're trying to work through it, and you're trying to deal with it, but you still got this thing in the back of your head. I wonder if there was any truth to that. I wonder if they really did steal. I wonder if they really did run around with their spouse. I wonder if they really did do that thing. And you don't know, and you're not bringing it up. But the rest of your life, that man and that woman is not the same to you because of what something, something that somebody else said. When we speak something against somebody else, we change everybody that heard its perspective and perception of that person. And you have often made them appear to be less than what they were in the eyes of somebody else. One teacher said that the person that speaks evil destroys three people. It destroys the subject of his words, destroys the listener that listened to him, and himself. I want to show it to you in Scripture. The Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 21. This particular place in Scripture, it's an odd story. You probably wouldn't think it's come up in something like this. But this particular story, David is running for his life away from Saul. And he's ran uh, to where the priest was at to, to, to find some shelter, get some food, get some weapons. He's running for his life. And so he gets there to Ahimelech and he says, you know, do you have any swords? Do you have any food? And they have this conversation. And in verse 6 of chapter 21, I'm, just, I'm trying to hit the highlights for the sake of time. It says, so the priest gave him hallowed bread. There was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. So he's feeding him and he gives him the sword of Goliath. Y'all go read the story on your own. It's a great story. But verse 7 says, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. Detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. He wasn't really a party to this exchange. He just saw it, and he heard it, and he witnessed what went down that day in the house of God. The next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 22, jumping down to verse 6, says, When Saul heard that David was discovered, when Saul figured out where he was at, and the men that were with him, now Saul voted Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants that stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards to make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? There's none that showeth me that my son hath been a league with the son of Jesse, and there's none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answer, Go away, the Edomite, which was said over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitophel. 
Now, apparently, he didn't just run back and report this. Apparently, he didn't just rush it to, the, to his presence and say, hey, guess what I saw? He kept it to himself for a little while. But then when Saul said, hey, is he going to make you a, a general? Is he going to make you a captain? Is he going to give you lands and vineyards? Who's with me? Who's really on my side? And all of a sudden, now Doeg sees an opportunity for himself. Is that not really what we're doing when we speak evil to somebody else? Oftentimes, the purpose of us doing so is because when we make them look worse, our prideful flesh feels like we have made ourselves look better. By the way, apostolic women examine other apostolic women terribly because they feel like they're disordered. While they look at their skirt length because they feel like theirs is longer. While the preachers find every means of the sun and dislike some other preacher because they want to feel better about themselves. They're dealing with their own pride. We're dealing with our own pride when we speak evil of others. Doeg sees an opportunity to look good in the eyes of the king and says, guess what I saw? Doeg did not tell a lie. The only thing he was doing was relating the truth. He was telling him exactly what had taken place. But Doeg knew well and good why he was saying it. He was destroying David in the process, or so he thought. In a handful of verses later, verse 18, when King Saul runs off to where Ahimelech is, it says, And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Ahimelech was there. Ahimelech died. All yeah, the right. priests died. Saul was later find his demise. What about Doeg? Saul chapter 52. We find such a fellow pop right back up in scripture. To the chief musician, Maskeel, a Saul of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, and said unto him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, almighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue devises mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than speak righteousness, Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away, pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, and root thee out of the land of the living. Was the statement not true? Was he simply not relating a truthful matter that had occurred? So why in the world did so much harm and so much death come from it? Because it was spoken in evil. It was spoken in wickedness. Doeg should have kept his mouth shut. But he didn't. He paid for it for his life. See, there are a lot of sins that, that, that we can commit as people. A lot of wrongs that we can do that the Bible lays out for us. There are things the Bible talks about that we sin against God when we do it. And there are things that the scripture talks about that we sin against our own bodies when we do it. And yet this particular sin is a triplicate. Because we have spoken against God's creation. 
So we have sinned against God himself. We have sinned against our brother and harming him. And we have sinned against ourselves by introducing such evil and uncleanness into our hearts. Once we speak things, they cannot be gotten back. Not only can they not be gotten back, but we have absolutely no control over where they go. You have no idea to whom and in what context your words will be repeated later. Don't we in our day today see this on full display in social media? So he well, I know it's not talking, but what we talk about our preachers purposes. It's our words. We witness at times people get elected to office and people get promotions and companies and all of these things, fame and fortune comes their way. And then, oh, look what we found. Somebody finds a tweet, somebody finds a post from 15 years ago. All of a sudden, a job is lost. Marriage is broken off. Somebody's resigning from a post. All because their words got brought back up when they least wanted it to be. Can the big, can the big, if that were not enough, the Bible teaches us that God himself pays very close attention to what we say. Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus because I've said some dumb things. <clears throat> for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Last passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 5. I want to show you something from the words of Jesus himself. Verse 21 says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time. There's a handful of these passages in the New Testament in this particular area where he is trying to reveal to them the depth of the law that they missed. And so it's in that area of scripture where he says things like, You know, you've heard it said that if a man commits adultery, it's wrong. But, but I'm telling you what that really means is, if he lusts after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. That's, that's this area of scripture. And so he says, you have heard, it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. That's easy enough. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say it, he reveals the true depth of the meaning of that law. That whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rekah shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Do you see the progression? Do you see where the Lord is going with this? Angry, emotions, or thoughts only. Because God sees our heart. They already put us in jeopardy of judgment. Because God sees to our innermost thoughts. He says if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're going to be in danger of judgment. What this means is that it was talking about you know, the, the judges in each particular
particular city. You could be away from Jerusalem. You couldn't be there where everybody was at. There was this, a group of seven judges, and they could judge matters of the law. Verses. The next thing, saying to your brother, Rechab, which means empty head, or what we would say is an idiot. Which is calling into question somebody's intelligence, whether they're all that bright or not. That if you're willing to say such things, you shall be in danger of the council. That word is the Sanhedrin, which is the Supreme Court in Israel, the 70 judges that will judge your behavior and pronounce judgment upon you. Versus the last thing, which is calling your brother a fool which speaks of calling their character into question. Their motives, what's in their heart. See, something as children of God, we need to, to learn very, very fast in life. The Bible says God knows the heart and he tries to raise. We don't. Sometimes we guess well. Sometimes we guess horribly. And so, if we are willing to speak ill and evil of our brother's character, if we are willing to call them godless and call them impious and call them wicked, that we would be in danger of hell. And if that weren't enough, the life would come. Verse 23, the Lord says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled with our brother and then come and offer thy gift. How careful must we be about the things that we say and do? If God says, I'm not interested in your worship, I'm not interested in your offering, I'm not interested in your sacrifice. If your brother has a reason to have all against you. The Old Testament teaches the day of atonement was when the sacrifice was made. The sacrifice for the sins of all the people. Everything hinged on the day of atonement. Everything hinged on it. That that lamb had to be perfect. It had to be offered in just the right way. And the sacrifice had to be accepted by God. And if it was accepted by God, their sins were pushed back. They were in good standing with God again. But here's the thing about the day of atonement. It would atone for sins against God. But if we had sinned against our brother. It would not atone for those sins. Unless we made the problem. That's exactly what the Lord is telling us. In the New Testament day, when He became our sacrificial lamb, when He became the blood that was spilled so that our sins could be washed away, if I want my sins under the blood of Jesus, I must be right with you. If I've spoken evil things, I must repent. And repenting includes, I can't talk that way anymore. I can't say those things anymore. I, and the Lord tarries, we're going to go through some other things. But I'm asking you tonight to, to reach out in prayer and 
ask God to begin to deal with our hearts and our lives and show us those things that we need to change. God, begin to open up our hearts. I open up these altars. Lord, open up our hearts and our lives. God, we love the power of the Holy Ghost. We control our tongue. By the power of your spirit, we will stop saying things that will do our souls. God, unify us, heal us, bring us together, and give us a right spirit with one another. Oh, did you reach out towards 